Good morning. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We know that you can do all things and that you are calling a people in this season to be your people, Father. Every generation, every moment, every second, you are always calling a people to be your people, Father. And we are always having unique challenges to fulfilling that call. And yet we know that you're good. We know that you have given us your spirit. You know you, you have given us your word and you have given us this larger community to be faithful to what you've called us to. Lord, I pray that as we are exploring your word, that your spirit would do a good work in us, that if we need to respond, we will respond, and that we would deeply desire the life that you have for us, the abundant life, Father. That we would desire that, that we would yearn for that, and that we would do everything within um, your power to be the people you're calling us to be. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you for raising that we know we have a hope of our own personal resurrection as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, we talked about being apprentices of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about that for the next four weeks. And today's title is Upstream. Normally, I don't really announce the title. I just put it back behind me so you see what I'm talking about. But today, I'm going to announce it. So many of you have experienced this. Unfortunately, probably many of you have been examples of this. So when I first became a follower of Jesus, I remember just thinking to myself, like, there is something special happening here. I didn't know the degree to which it was special, but I knew something special was happening. And I, like many of you, grew up around people who had uh, what, what appeared and probably is a sincere faith and really wanted to follow Jesus. And yet I, I just didn't know. I thought maybe the big Christian experience was going to church. And if you were super Christian, maybe reading the Bible. And so those were the two worldview or the two items I thought was important. And so the year I got baptized, I, I had just turned 21. And in Miami, that's like the age of the strip clubs. So there's a whole bunch of strip clubs in Miami. That's the age you could do that. And if you don't know what that is, praise God and I won't inform you. <laughs> and so the, my peer group, all of us that same year eventually turned 21. And so when the last guy I grew up with in my community turned 21, they were like, hey, to celebrate all of us being 21, let's go to a strip club. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, nah, you know, I'm not going to go. But I had two or three friends in that group who were people who went to church consistently. They 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 would have used the word that I'm a Christian and they would have explained themselves that way. And so when I cited that the reason I wasn't going, it, it was a contradiction to what I believe I've called to. They actually started um, telling me, like, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, you can go. Like, Jesus died for our sins. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> And I was like, you know, and I, and I just remember sitting there. I'm like, I could go, but it won't honor Jesus. And then, they, you know, it, it, when, when, when are people the, um, theologians when you disagree with them, right? You, anytime you agree with them, you don't know what they know. But the moment you disagree, you find out everything that they know. Now, needless to say, one of them says, stop being religious. You can't earn God's love. You need to be able to live in the freedom that God has given you. You're not saved by works. You're saved by God. That's the most I ever heard from this friend about the Bible ever. <laughs> and I just remember telling him, I'm like, in, in, in my infancy in Christ, I was like, 
it just makes no sense that I got saved from that to do that. And then he's like, you don't understand. No one's perfect. Find one perfect person. And I'm like, you guys could go and have fun without me. And then they went. And I just remember thinking about that. And I called my campus minister. He explained more theology and helped me. I, I wasn't tempted to go anyway because I didn't want to spend the money, to be honest with you. <laughs> but even if it was completely and utterly free, I still wouldn't have gone. But definitely the money component of it, I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to leave a situation. But, you know, the same thing happened with burning CDs. Now, this one I was guilty of. You know, I, I was cranking it, man. Napster back in the day, come on. We're confessing our sins collectively, communal confession. But, you know, we were going on a road trip for a campus conference. And I had the goods. I had all the latest CDs. I even made it clean version so we could jam our way through. And so they were like, I'm like, hey, I got that old school Usher. Let's go. And the sister looked at it. And, you know, it was one of those discs that you knew it wasn't like it got burned. She looked. She's like. What's this? I'm like, that's Usher. I have it titled right there. <laughs> and then she's like, is this a burn CD? I'm like, yes. She's like, do you have the actual copy? I'm like, no. She's like, so you want me to play stolen stuff in my car? Oh. I'm like, I ain't steal it. And then we got into a, because where we were going was Orlando from Miami, about four hours. We got into this deep theological conversation on how I stole it. At the time, I didn't think I was stealing it because I'm like, it's out there. They could have shut down that website. They want me to have it. (laughs) Needless to say, I was wrong. And I recognized deeply. You know, one of the things in our fellowship, you know, we we, we try to have a healthy culture of going on dates that that do not lead anywhere, right? We just want to build each other up. We want to encourage one another. We want to do all this. And it doesn't lead anywhere. And so one time we were going on a group date and a couple of my buddies saw the sister I was taking out on a date. It was completely platonic. And they were like, oh, okay, all right. And then they see me drive off. And then the next day they came and they saw, they, one of them, this was out there, but I didn't really see them. They saw me get dropped off and that was the end of it. And they were like, so dude, when are you gonna, you know? I'm like, what are you talking about? Her? I'm like, no. And then he's like, oh, you ain't feeling her? I'm like, he's like, I want to see what kind of girls are in your church, man. Who are you trying to make moves with? I'm like, I'm not trying to make moves with anyone in that church. He's like, so the girls ain't good looking. I'm like, no one said that. No one said that. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I ain't trying to do make moves with anyone until I'm married. He's like, and then he proceeded to list off all the Christians we knew who were having sex. So he's like, all of them dudes is doing whatever. What? What? He's like, are you sure this thing, you're not drinking the Kool-Aid over there? <laughs> and I remember sharing, now this scripture I was ready for. I remember sharing him the different scriptures. I'm like, I don't want to trade in something eternal for something temporary. Yeah. I shared those examples to say, we are swimming upstream even amongst fellow Christians. How are we called to live this life? It's really challenging. You expect it from people who say, I'm, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. You expect that. But when you get it from peers who are Christians, it's challenging. You start to wonder, am I being a little too serious about this? Am I being a little too religious about this? You know, one of the challenges that we've been confronted with, which I think is a good challenge, the Protestant Reformation brought a lot of good. One of the things they put a personal emphasis on was getting saved. 
Like people need to be saved. But I think we put an underemphasis, most Protestant movements. I'm not saying we go back to being Catholic and not making that, that, that appeal. But how do you live saved? It's crazy that we have a nation that has, I think, 40, 86 million Christians. And yet you wouldn't know it most of the time, honestly. You see, I don't doubt the sincerity of any of those guys I was talking to love for Jesus. I really don't. Otherwise, they wouldn't be consistently going to their spiritual communities and participating in things that they did. But there was a huge disconnect between the Jesus that they loved and the life that they lived. And I, there's a host of issues. You could just go online and put what is wrong with Christianity. You could get a million and one blogs. You probably wrote some of those blogs yourself. But I feel like there's three areas that if we're going to be people who are formed to live like Jesus, that we have to make sure that we don't fall into these traps. The first one is an overemphasis on getting the right doctrine that does not take account the way you live your life. Sometimes, you know, we could get the right doctrine like, man, what does Acts chapter 2 say? Baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We read Romans chapter 6. You can lose your salvation. We know all these correct ideas, and sometimes our lives don't even reflect that we know the correct ideas. Then, in most of our churches, there is a, a model for how we do what we're calling Sunday to worship, the Sunday experience, that caters to, the, to those not yet saved every week. And so it ends up happening a lot of times when you come to most, most, most um, modern churches, you know, you come, you, you hear a great sermon, you hear great music, you know, you get the smokes, the lights, it's all good. And I'm not hating on that. But then you walk away. The only thing I needed to know was I did the right thing, whether that was accept Jesus into my heart, whether that was I got baptized, whatever the right thing was. If you did it, you knew the sermon was about everyone else who was there and it wasn't really about you. <laughs> And so you walk away week in, week out thinking, I'm all good. Everything I just did up until then, between then, it's all good because I did the right thing because we have put an overemphasis. It's an important emphasis. We need to see people who don't know Jesus to be saved. But we put an overemphasis on that. And then the other challenge is the compartmentalization of how we think about Christianity. I talked a little bit about it last week, but there's a lot of times where we just without knowing it, become chameleons. In this situation, like most of you in here for the next 45 minutes, it's hard for you to do something really evil. Like you, you, you kind of feel like I got to restrain my evil for the next 40, 45 minutes. So if you are someone who's normally super contentious with your spouse, it's a little awkward if you get into it right here. You know, it's like, oh man, they're, they're shouting at each other. I hate you. You're like, whoa, whoa, this is crazy. You know, or if you're someone who struggles with impurity, it's a little awkward if you have challenges right here, you know, understatement of the year. But we know how to compartmentalize. But what happens is we go to the workplace and at the workplace, we could be a certain way. Yeah. You know, I tell you guys, I go to Planet Fitness. I've seen a couple of my other fellow um, disciples in there getting fired up. And so anyhow, some of the guys know I'm a minister and I'm hanging out with those guys and we're starting to get to know each other. And so two of the guys that I'm starting to get to know, I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, bro, how's it going? I'm like, good. They're like, how's your church? It's going good. And then, and then I don't know how we transition from how's the church, what, what type of workout are you doing today, to, bro, you, did you see what this model did, a model on Instagram? 
And I'm like, I did not see what she did. I don't, I'm not really on Instagram. I haven't logged out of my account, but I don't touch that thing. I check in periodically. But anyhow, they proceeded to look at the model, and I'm like, I'm like, did I tell them I was a minister? And then I was like, nah, you know, I'm good. I don't want to look at her. And they're like, oh, you don't, you don't do that outside the house. I'm like, I don't even do that in the house, bro. <laughs> I'm like, and they were like, oh, is this bad? I'm like, it all depends, I guess. I'm like, are any of you guys married to her? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe not, you know? I'm open to talking about this over coffee if you want. They're like, yeah, maybe, bro, maybe, maybe, maybe. Let's get the pump in. But what I'm saying is we, we, we live in a situation where they didn't even think twice to say, oh, the minister wouldn't want to look at that because that's normal. That's very normal. It, it, they, they were like, you're actually awkward a little bit for not doing. And so swimming upstream is challenging. And if we're going to be apprentices of Jesus, it's necessary that what we do with following Jesus is all encompassing. That feels challenging, but trust me, it's not because we have community. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures. God is for us. You know, the subtitle of our series. Well, the, the title of our series is Becoming More Like Jesus, Getting Heaven Into You. And I think a lot of us spend most of our waking moments thinking, I want to get to heaven. I want to make sure. You know, I started my Christian journey. I wanted to be a 2.0 Christian. A 2.0 Christian was like, what's the bare minimum to walk across the stage and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Mm -hmm. Now I recognize that that mindset actually will probably hinder me from being the person Christ is calling me to be. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible spends more of its time not trying to get you to heaven, but trying to get heaven into you. If you read the scriptures, it's been more time trying to get heaven into you to become the person that God is calling you to be. And so as apprentices of Jesus, we are called to walk as Jesus did. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul, after laying out a whole bunch of issues, he's just trying to bring this church together, make them one, help them understand He's like, okay, in light of all of the meaty things I've told you, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's read this in the message um, Bible. You know, Eugene Peterson sometimes hit it on the head. Other times, you're like, okay, Eugene, that's kind of a stretch. But you know, this one, I feel like he hits it on the head. So we're reading the same exact verse, but from the message Bible. It's a translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you could do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you and wants to develop well-formed maturity in you. You know, this passage is so packed. What Paul is talking about when he says, offer your body, he's talking collectively. That's the collective body that we as an entire body of believers offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And when he says this is your proper worship, Paul is making uh, really what he's saying there is this is your rational worship. Like, how do you worship the right way before God? That's a million dollar question. Paul would say by offering your body, our worship needs to be an embodied experience. You know, one of the challenges with the embodied experience, like I mentioned before, we have for a long time, because of the enlightenment, have thought if I get all the right information, if I get all the right information, I will change. That is seldom how it works. Many of us have read incredible diet books. If you don't diet, that book ain't going to do nothing for you. I remember being on YouTube watching a guy put together um, his car engine and do the oil change. I looked at it, I looked at it, and I was like, I think I get it. Then I opened my hood, and I was like, I'm going to pay the $39.99. <laughs> it was challenging for me, even though I got the information. You could even ask me what the information was. Paul is saying our minds, our, 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 our rational worship needs to be a worship that includes our body. You know, it's easy, it's very easy to not bring our minds in alignment with God. And a big part of it is what we do with our bodies. We can't let the culture squeeze us in to the shape that it dictates. We have to be people who are allowing ourselves to be formed by Christ. And I recognize that that is an upstream battle. So in the message translation, he says, take your everyday life. All of us in here, we live in contested ground. There are many things right now that are combating with what we believe as Christians. I don't want us to have an us versus them mindset, but I want us to be aware of the waters we're swimming in. There are a plethora of things that battle what it means to be a Christian. And so as apprentices of Jesus on this contested ground, we have to be conscious of what we do with our minds, what we let into our minds, and how we actually live our lives. Being a person of Jesus, being the people of Jesus, inquires an embodied living, and that's key. You know, our ordinary life, all-encompassing. It's easy, again, to compartmentalize. Like, some of us are going to go home after this. We're going to watch TV. We're going to do whatever. And, you know, out of sight, out of mind, until something becomes, like, so flagrantly Christian that you're like, oh, I'm a Christian again. But through the rest of our week, we're not thinking about it. We're not act- actively thinking about it. It has to be super flagrant, generally. Like, like, hey, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't lie today. And then you're like, hmm, I was going to lie until you said that exact statement. <laughs> Like, it has to be flagrant. So one of, the, one of the things, one of my neighbors when we were little kids would have this saying, sinning on a Sunday, right? I didn't go to church, but he and his brothers would go to church, and when they come back, we'll play. And if someone did something wrong, he's like, ooh, you sinning on a Sunday. <laughs> and then I remember asking him, like, what does it mean to sin on a Sunday? And he's like, Sunday's the only day you can't sin. <laughs> His children's program needed a lot of help. (laughs) 
It is. I mean, I'm pretty sure they did a good job. He just probably misunderstood the message. But but they but they would always say that like their family like oh sinning on a Sunday sinning on a Sunday sinning on a Sunday, and they would do the finger snap just like that. <laughs> sinning on a Sunday. You know from from their from their paradigm you live however you want to live but on Sunday you live different, and then the rest of the week you live however you want to live. Paul is saying, take your everyday life. It's not just sinning on a Sunday. It's loving on a Sunday and loving well through the rest of the week. You see, embracing what God does for us is challenging and it feels absurd. You know, like we live in in times where if if we're being completely honest, the idea of being the, under the authority of scripture, or being under the authority of a regular guy, or being under the authority of a church is just challenging. There was a period in time, about a little bit before World War I, where the world was okay with living under the authority of something. And if something happened, Charles Taylor says it, was a, it wasn't a sudden transition, but it was a gradual transition where we went from an age of authority and trusting the authority to an age of authenticity, which is the present age he would say we live in. And what is the age of authenticity? Well, instead of meaning being discovered, meaning is created. Once upon a time, where did you find who you were? You'd be like, Mom, Dad, who am I? You're in France. You know, this is what the Francis do. We work hard. That's why you have generations of blacksmiths. And they even became their last name, like just Smith. And you just keep going generation after generation. Or you're like, oh, this is the family business. We do that. And again, there were some, certain things that were challenging about that and weird about that. But everyone kind of knew. You're like, how do I define good and evil for myself? You went to the priest. You're like, hey, priest, what is good? What is evil? And the priest or the minister told you what was good and evil. Now, in this age of authenticity, authenticity, we create meaning. You're like, hey, what's the goal? Be happy. How do I do that? You tell me. And so everyone is jockeying for position on what to make themselves happy. And so we move from discovering to creating meaning. And you know what the real, the, the cold in this, in this age is? Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. That doesn't feel like a bad message. It feels like, man, that's good. Be true to yourself. I want everyone to be true to themselves. Now, Without any qualifiers, that is actually a very dangerous thing. You see, what the culture is saying, be true to yourself, is something that could very well be largely problematic. The scriptures, when the scriptures talk about freedom, it's not talking about freedom to, but freedom from. Mm -hmm. And so we live in a society now where I have to obey Every single desire that I have, or in that moment, I wasn't true to myself. So if Julian says something snarky and I want to say something snarky back, to, to be true to myself, I better say something snarky back. Yep. Otherwise, I'm oppressed by my wife. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> she's, she's, she's confessing her sin. <laughs> you know, it just, it just yep. but I got to be true to myself. If you talk to most people, they'll be like, you had to. How else would she know? Like, that's just the right thing. You know, I, and I don't want to make light of the situation, but you, you see a lot of, even, even some of my peers who got married around the same time as me and now divorced, you talk to them, especially those who've decided that maybe Christianity isn't for them in this season. They'll be like, listen, I couldn't be with this person. I'm like, why? They're like, this person just didn't make me happy. 
And how can I live my life and teach my children to live the right life if they're denied their own happiness? And I hear that component. And there is a place to where they need to bring that to the gathered community to strengthen that marriage. But the covenant is actually a call to protection and it shouldn't be so weak and and, and thimble based on happiness. But in this age, if you're being true to yourself, you actually are doing the worst thing by being in a situation that don't make you happy. Because happiness has become a sort of God. And again, when, 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 um, when the translation from the message says that God wants what's absolute, absolutely best for you, sometimes we don't realize that self-constraint, self-control is a freedom. Yep, that's right. Like, it's, it's awesome that I don't have to give in to every single impulse I have. I would have died a thousand times, and, and a lot of you would have probably hated me by now. Like, I have a lot of impulses. I'm like, and I was talking yesterday, so you guys may not even watch boxing. You're going to judge me for even wanting to watch boxing. I think boxing is a sport. UFC and all that other stuff, I think that's violence. But boxing is a sport. And I was looking at the pay-per-view event. I'm like, oh, it's $84, $80, 99 I'm like, man, this is probably going to be only eight rounds. But I really want to see the fight. So I text Jules, hey, Jules, would it be crazy if I got this? Jules is like... Not crazy, but silly. <laughs> or emotional. Emotional. She said emotional. I said silly. She said emotional. She's like, and she added back, I'll be struggling with you if you got this too. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and after I ended that texting conversation, I had the brief moment. I'm free, man. man. Y'all go hard for what I get too. I never get what I want. Everyone gets to get everything that they want. I just want this one time. Wow, now I'm evil. I had my little pity party, and then I'm like, you know what? I want to save my money. And so I didn't spend the money. I didn't watch the fight. I just ended up following it on ESPN, which, which wasn't as good, but it still worked. But our everyday lives, we live on contested grounds. We live on contested grounds, and part of the culture is forming us. Like Many of us in here, no one wakes up in the morning and be like, yo, be true to yourself. That that seldomly is a mantra. It's just the default setting when we are confronted with something we really want. It just undergirds it. It's just like, yo, should I really do this? Well, I gotta, I gotta make myself happy. Like at the end of the day, you don't, you, you probably don't even phrase it like that. You're like, why wouldn't I do it? Like, who's stopping me? You're only stopping yourself. You're free, man. Go do it. Enjoy it. Love it. You'll be okay. Like it's just the undergirding message instead of like, man, what is Christ calling me to do in this moment? How should I look at this unique moment? You know, he says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that if you fit into it without that, you fit into it without even thinking. That's what spiritual formation helps us fight against the undergirding assumptions that we all live into. All of us in here have been baptized into a culture, into a way of doing things that oppose the way of Jesus. There are ways that it does support the way of Jesus, our cultures and our societies, but there's ways that it opposes. But the problem with both of those things, they're subconscious now. We don't even know why we're doing what we're doing. You know, I talked about last week, we're not brains on a stick and that we are what we love. Our habits and imitations are what we need to form if we're going to have the appropriate loves for Jesus. So... How do we grow in our love for Jesus? Well, that is an emotional decision, intellectual decision, and a choice. But if it does not follow with embodied practices, you are going to go back to what you naturally know. 
You see, scriptures teach us about God. It leads us on the journey to this abundant life because scriptures belong to God. So when we're reading the scriptures and we're reading the teachings of Jesus, we follow Jesus. A quote from Christopher R.J. Holmes. He's a theologian in, um, in, in Europe right now. The fool, the fool judges good with reference to himself. As a result, he does not discover what is truly good. He can neither see nor do good because his existence is self-enclosed. Self-control, humility, these are things that are not a part of his vocabulary. What is Christopher Holmes talking about? This idea that we are following people who aren't following God is dangerous because their way of thinking is self-enclosed. Like there's no appeal to a higher society, higher, higher morality. It's like, hey, you know, I think all of us in here, if we're being really humble, would recognize we are probably not the best people to follow 24-7 in every single area of our lives. Now, some of you are thinking, I think I am the person you should follow. And then that's why you're dangerous. And, and hopefully you get help. But most of us in here would be like, oh, no, I'm, I have wild inconsistencies at times. I could be good, going great, and then someone touches my agave, and I want to raise hell everywhere I go. Agave is a good life. If you're not living the bougie life, man, don't judge me. I got to repent of that, too. I need more simple sugar. Agave is expensive. Um, well, what is life if you can't enjoy the good, right? <laughs> Some good. Be true to yourself. Be true to myself. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, we, we live, like, again, I'm going to use me as an example because I, I don't want to shame anyone. But, you know, let's just say I had a talk show. I had my own network. It was called S Network. And I sold books and I did all this amazing things. Then you sit back and say, hey, you know, Steve told me this and Steve told me that. And I'm like, why should we listen to Steve? Well, he has his own network. And his net worth is like $4.3 billion. And you're like, does Steve actually have the life that you want? Do Steve actually have the ins and outs of everything that you want? And you're like, I think so, but you really don't know. You really don't know. And honestly, from a distance, everyone looks perfect. You all who have Instagram, you find me two janky people on Instagram. You won't find it. They prevent themselves from looking janky. And even when they try to look janky, they even then, you're like, I think they're really not that janky. And then you're just like, who puts out their real selves on social media? You're like, this is really me. And then you see, like, the lighting is good, the back of their room is clean. You're like, I know your room isn't always clean when you're in a season of depression. But maybe you do keep your room clean. You see, we imitate people who are not trying to follow Jesus, and then we end up in the same situations as them. And then we sit back and say, why isn't my life filled? Why am I not filling the abundant life that Christ is calling me to? And again... These are just things that undergird. Not, not, not. Most of us in here, we've decided that we won't live really crazy. We're not going to be like embezzlers and all this other stuff. We decided that. Some are laughing because they're like, I just did it this morning. You need to come to the light. <laughs> come to the light afterwards. But how we talk to each other, right? Like, there's a lot of people in their marriage, you know, you, you name call. And you're like, that's normal. No, everyone names calls. Like, I call my wife stupid before. And you're like, everyone doesn't do that. And even if everyone did, I don't think Jesus would do that. Yeah. You name call brothers and sisters. 
You'd be like, yo, that dude is really dumb. Isn't he annoying? And you'd be like, everyone does that. We all kind of roast on people. Isn't that normal? And you're like, even if everyone does do it, I don't think Jesus would talk about someone that way. Dishonesty. You're like, who doesn't lie? Like, we go through weeks lying. But you're like, it's not a big lie. It's minimal lies. Kids come up to you. Hey, daddy, are you going to come and help me in five minutes? You're like, I know I'm not going to help you in five minutes. I'm just going to say yes, just so I can move on. Yes. And then the movie, and you're like, he's, he's three years old. He doesn't even know I lied. And he doesn't know how to keep track of time. And you're like, every single time, everyone else lies. Exaggeration. That's, that's the water we're swimming in. Sarcasm. Even in the fellowship. We walk around, we're sarcastic with one another. It just, it just, it's, it's our native tongue. You know, you know, the scriptures talk about um, Satan's native tongue is lying. I would say the Christian fellowship is sarcasm. You know, you go to a different fellowship, you just first time being there, someone's going to be sarcastic with you. And I'm, like, oh, I'm grateful to come and worship here with you. Are you sure you're grateful? You look like you ain't. And you're like, what are you talking about? No, I'm just joking, man. You're like, I don't even know where that came from. And that's the usher. That's the usher that greeted you. And you're like, come on, usher, build me up a little bit. Like, we ain't got to start there. Gossip. Ooh, I got the tea for you. I got the tea for you. You see, you see James over there, man. He's, he's about to break up with his girlfriend, man. James is like actually really sinful. And then you, so, someone call, calls you out on it. You're like, no, I'm just getting advice from, from someone else on how to help James. You're like, sure, advice. I know. You just, you just, you just are burdened with, because that's what the world does. Now, we baptize it with advice. But that's just what the world does. Slander. You know, you're like, okay, I won't slander anyone here, but man, I'm about to destroy that politician with my fake name on Twitter. <laughs> and I destroyed them and wrecked them. And I come back and I'm like, yeah, man, I love my enemies. And speaking of politics, we're quick to cut people off, especially if they voted for the other guy, whoever the other guy is. And we're quick to be cruel to the other people. But these are the waters we're swimming in. No one will blame us because we usually move in homogenous communities, so they're all good. If I was running around with Republicans and I said, man, Joe Biden is a fool, we'll all start to pile on him. Like, yeah, he's a fool. And we could all be baptized in the name of Jesus and we're like destroying Joe. And if I move over to the other side, we could destroy Trump. And we could just like, yeah, he's this, he's that, he's that. And no one's going to say, like, should we be talking about people this way? It's just the water we're swimming in. It's just all normal. It's like, yeah, no, 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 no. We're not really talking about anyone, even though we are. And if they were president, I don't even think we would talk that way about them. Not to their face, at least. And again, social media, you know, that just brings out the worst, I think, in most people, man. I, 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 you know, you get on there and you just see, like, ugly, man. It's just like, gosh, I know this brother, I know this sister. In fellowship, they're way more normal. But when I see them on social media, I'm like... I'm terrified, man. Like a demon just jumped into the situation, man. But then again, it's like, well, that's how we talk. Social media has its own language. There's no humility in social media. I can't remember the last time I ever seen someone apologize on social media. You know, it's just alternative facts. You, you, you switch it a little bit. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is a death dealer, guys. If we live like the rest of the world, even if we don't die, we're dying spiritually. 
there was a minister talking about what sin does to the soul. He did this whole symposium on how sin impacts the soul. One little sin does something to you, just like one deed of righteousness does something for, to you. It starts off first as an isolated situation, then it becomes a habit, then it becomes your character if you're not careful with the sins that you're engaged in. Now, the opposite is also true. Righteousness starts off as an isolated situation, then it becomes a habit, then it becomes a character. And so God's gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus is what's on offer, but we have to swim upstream even if at times it feel alone. And that eternal life isn't like, yo, when I die, I have this. It's a quality of life available now. So the million-dollar question, how do we swim upstream? We need to slow down. That feels so counterintuitive. You know, um, Spectrum sent me an email this morning, and they're like, we got fastest internet you can never believe for $89.99. And I was like, yo, <laughs> my aunt's a skeptic. She doesn't believe. <laughs> but they offered it. Faster internet, so I could download more stuff. I don't even download anything right now, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, what, do, what would I do with faster internet now? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm, so I'm, I don't do video games, so it's not like I need that for better gameplay. My internet seems to work fine. YouTube gets to where I got to go in the five minutes. And so I'm like, I don't know what I would need the faster internet for. But I thought about it. I'm like, maybe I just need faster internet. Maybe something's going to slow down. You see... Getting heaven into us requires an introspection, a slowing, a slowness of living that we can examine. Most of us in here do not. Well, I've talked to some of you. I've asked indirectly. Most of us in here don't really practice a pace to where we actually have margin to examine our day. We have margin to get away, say, from the children. Like I'm just going to step away from the children. But stepping away and be like, I'm going to examine my day. You know, the ancients practice about... 15, 20 minutes, and three intervals. So in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. 20 minutes, 15 minutes, just examining their days. What did I feel? What did I think? How did I encounter God? I think we could do something like that. Maybe not 20 minutes. Maybe you don't got 20 minutes. Maybe five minutes. But you could slow down enough, put your phone on airplane mode. Whoever is looking for you will find you once you get off of airplane mode. And we are called to be transformed like we read in Romans chapter 12. But how do we do it? How do we... Become transformed. Paul says by the renewing of your mind. But Paul also calls us in another place to tell us on how to be transformed. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What Paul is talking about here is this idea of the contemplation, a mirror. The Greek word is actually for mirror. And Paul is like, you look into the mirror, you see Jesus' glory, like you kind of see it. And eventually, as you keep looking into Jesus' glory, you start to reflect that back to yourself and you become more and more like Jesus. And again, contemplation feels like, man, that's just so cerebral. That's just... You said, Steve, it's not about cerebral, it's about embodied practice. But it starts here. It starts here. Contemplation starts here, then it moves here, then it moves into an embodied practice. And as we are transformed into who Jesus is, our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful. As God enters our lives and we become more like him. And what's the beauty I'm talking about? 
living in the spirit, walking in the in the goodness of God, there is something that's just refreshing. You know, in the Proverbs, it says um, a sinful person flees when there's no lion, but the righteous is as bold as a lion. Something like that. I butchered it. I couldn't find it in the morning. So I was like, amen. But I kind of know it. And imagine being able to just sit in conversation and be real, but not be hurtful to be able to love well and, and, and not feel like your people pleaser. To be able to just feel like, man, my life is full. It, it's overflowing with abundance instead of characterized by anxiety and feeling like, man, I'm really not transformed. You know, having to throw out the million and one disclaimers like, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect, instead of being like, man, I know I'll never be absolutely perfect, but Christ is doing a good work in me and he's transforming me. You know, I look at my life and I'm like, oh, I long to be more like Jesus. I really do. Like, if, if when you, we've all read the Gospels in here. You read it and you're like, people dislike Jesus. If you dislike me for the reasons you dislike Jesus, I can live with that. Because I look at Jesus' life and I'm like, he did nothing wrong. He said nothing wrong. Like, Jesus doesn't have to double back and go and apologize. Because he was very good. Which makes sense, he's Lord. But he was very good. And so, this glory that Paul is talking about is... Over time, we start to really and truly live the resurrected life. We start to really and truly embrace the life that is the life to come. We start to be people who can slow down and enjoy and rest. You know, the rest of the world, they're like, the economy is going to come crashing. And we sit back and say, I got community. I got love. If the economy falls apart, we'll figure it out. We don't want it to fall apart, but we'll figure it out. The rest of the world is looking like, man, you've been with the same person for the last 15 years and they got the same issues. How could you still be in love? And you're like, I'm still in love because they are being formed in the Christ. I'm being formed in the Christ. And even if they're not being formed in the Christ, God is good. This covenant is good. And I'm excited about what I have. You know, we look in society and we're looking like, man, like, how can you remain faithful and optimistic about what God is doing? You see how crazy the world is? And you're like, the fact that you even ask about what God is doing tells me that God is still working. And I'm excited about partnering with God in this good work. When we see communities radically transformed by the loving kindness of the kingdom of God in big ways and in little ways, we get excited. And that's the beauty of the gospel. I look forward to living more into that reality. And here's, here's the reality that I think most of us understand. We know it at a core level. In, in, in low religious areas like this, the best witness we have is a transformed life. A life that's radically transformed. I could put together the best three-point presentation on the gospel, but if they don't see it in my life, they probably won't listen. But if I live a life that has been stained by the glory of God, they will be transformed. They'll look and be like, well, whatever he's doing, it's working for him. And whatever I'm doing may not be working, and maybe I give his um, Jesus an opportunity. You know, I want us to look at Moses' example. We'll, we'll, we'll go through this really quickly. Now, Moses is not Lord. But Moses was a person who had a deep intimacy with God that he was able to swim upstream when all the when all the Israelites who were deeply Egyptian wanted to still be Egyptian. And so we can look at Moses example in Exodus chapter three, verse two. You have an interaction here between Moses and God. Well, the angel of the Lord, but speaking on God's behalf. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that 
Though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. You know, Moses' experience with God didn't start off with this face-to-face interaction. It started with him walking and noticing a burning bush. I put before you, probably other people saw the burning bush too, and if they were like me, they just kept walking the other way. Like once you see something's not burning up and it should be, you're like, I don't know if I want to investigate that, but Moses investigated and he was called later. But that interaction at the burning bush, what took place? Moses listened to what he saw. I mean, listened to who was speaking to him. He took off his sandals. He called his brother. He did all the other work. But it started just first and foremost, a kind of a distant intimacy. And if we're going to be people who swim upstream, it starts with a distant intimacy. If we're not close to God, like where do I see God today and how do I kind of listen to him? Maybe I'm not in the ten of meetings yet, but how do I get there? How do I listen to God to where he could show himself more and more to me? And when he gives me something, I want to be faithful and follow it through. You know, Moses from there made more and more progress in hearing God's voice over the Egyptian culture of his own. Let's go to Exodus 19. Exodus 19, this is after the Israelites were freed from um, Egypt. And Moses is getting ready to give them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. Exodus 19, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am coming to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. It went from the burning bush and the angel speaking to Moses to now God is speaking to him in a dense cloud and they're developing this intimacy. They're getting close. And at every point when God speaks to Moses, Moses follows. At every point, God reveals himself in a meaningful way. Moses follows. Let's go to Exodus 33, verse 11. Exodus 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You see the progression of his intimacy with God. That he was able to lead the Israelite people because he was so close to God that he was able to get Egypt out of himself. If you read Exodus to Deuteronomy, the whole premise is you are a set apart people. Get Egypt out of you and live the way I'm calling you to live. We are called in a very similar way to walk as the people of God, but we have to get our culture out of us. And it requires more than one person. We don't have one Moses. We have a group of people filled with the Holy Spirit to listen to the voice of God and move in the direction that God is calling us to move. Again, it starts small. Maybe you're like, I'm not ready for God to speak to me face to face as one speaks to a friend. Start small. Pay attention. He might be speaking in a burning bush. Maybe your burning bush isn't a legitimate burning bush, but he might be speaking. But you have to pay attention and slow down to notice it. Trusting the voice. And if you don't know if you can trust the voice, that's why you have community. You say, man, I'm thinking God is telling me to do this. And then we can hash it out as a community of believers. Scratching the surface. We're just scratching the surface. And that's why we're going to talk about spiritual formation. What we just spent our time doing this whole lesson is a lesson on contemplation, believe it or not. But we're just scratching the surface. There's actually so much more about how we as a people could be contemplatives for the sake of an embodied spirituality. So here's what I want us to do as a community group. I know some community groups don't meet this week. And if you do, amen. If not, the community group host would know what to do. Um, But I want us in groups of two or three, three or two, to share this week, how did you see God? 
Was it in your children? Was it in the music? Was it in the drive to work? Was it at the, where did you see God? It takes an active paying attention. I, I, I fervently believe God exposes himself every single day. But sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's like Elisha in the whisper. I fervently believe that. And the only times I don't notice God is when I was too busy, when I was in a hurry. So you do that. You connect with two or three people in your community group. And then as you gather together as a community group, share where you guys have seen God. Where you've seen God working. Because as we share where we've seen God working, it actually inspires us. You're like, oh, Wade saw God at Roots. I'm going to go over to Roots. And then you go there, you may not be the same experience. And then Rinaldi's like, I saw God on my walk over here. And he's like, I walked on Brighton. I'm like, definitely he didn't see God. And then he... Good, good people are in Brighton, I'm pretty sure. But sometimes it feels like that road is just cold. I walked it once. I don't know if that's the, the spirit of the Lord. But as we share, it inspires us. Like anytime I've ever heard anyone share a lesson about prayer or how they heard, it inspires me. It's like, wow, that worked for you. I got into journaling because the brother told me, man, I, it was able to help him really see himself before God. I got into praying for, for um, doing prayer walks. Because people talked about, man, I was doing this prayer walk and I saw God. I went hiking, and I don't like it, but I went hiking because someone said you could connect with God. After I went up the mountain, I'm like, I exercised, I didn't connect with God. That wasn't my preferred method of exercise. Let's pray. Um, Let's have a moment of reflection first, and then we'll pray for communion.